This is the 966 episode 85. Hello, Richard Wilson. Hey, How are Richard, you? yeah, I'm waving at you. <laughs> Hi. We can see each other. For those of us watching on YouTube, you know that. Of course, we can see each other, but for our larger audience of audio listeners, we are looking yeah. at each other when we do this. So we can exchange looks. If you want to see these looks, go to our YouTube channel and uh, you can really get the uh, full picture. How are you? I'm doing great. It's uh, another good week. I always enjoy our sessions. We're just chatting beforehand about all the uh, prep and logistics and stuff that goes into these things. And, we do, and just so viewers and listeners know, it's not nearly as easy as we make it look. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But it's still fun. It's doing well, which we were kind of excited about and a little bit surprised about. But we figured since we do this anyway we would just record it. And just like today, Richard, we were talking and we said, hey, we better get going with this. Let's just hit record and start. In just a few moments, we've got a mouth-watering interview, a really fun discussion with Nora Ortiz. She is founder of the first authentic Mexican restaurant in Saudi Arabia. Really good one, Richard. Um, and I hope that you enter the conversation having eaten because <laughs> we talk a lot about food. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, and I, I know you're excited because you'll get to you probably hopefully you'll get to to uh, visit and enjoy Don Rubens later this month. Don Rubens I, in Riyadh, in the diplomatic quarter in Riyadh, finest Mexican restaurant in all of the land in Saudi Arabia, and still pretty much as we understand from the conversation, the only truly authentic Mexican restaurant. There's a lot of fusion out there. But yes, I'll be heading there in about a week, Richard. Um, so I'm going to make that a stop. Usually, usually I don't even think about Mexican food there because sure. number one, there's so much good Saudi food, as you know, having just returned as well. Um, yeah. And number two, because you don't feel like you can really get it there. But now you can at Don Rubin's. Uh, great conversation. If you missed our conversation last week with Faisal Durrani, head of Middle East research at Knight Frank and also a partner, head to Arch YouTube channel there because we have a lot of graphics that go with the conversation in that yeah. uh, just really good session with him talking about the real estate market in Saudi Arabia. We actually had a YouTube commenter ask uh, the week before about when we're going to talk more about the actual real yes. estate market in Saudi Arabia. And we commented back, just wait four days. And listen to our conversation with Mike Frank. <laughs> yes. We also love hearing from you all. Uh, comments and feedback coming from every direction. I mean, Richard, our WhatsApp and then YouTube channel, podcast platform, email, however you can get to us. We love hearing from you. Richard, I went to a fraternity golf tournament last weekend, heard some of my homies saying they were listening a little, uh, told them that because this is a niche subject, I don't push it on anyone who might not be interested in Saudi Arabia. They said it was very awesome. One said that he fell asleep with it. Uh, listening to it on his AirPods. And then he woke up in the middle of the night hearing my voice in his ear. So I'm really sorry about that, Chaz. And That's hilarious and, and probably and, creepy. And, and just a wee bit creepy. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Good morning, Chaz. <laughs> uh, we also got this comment from Mashal Alhomadi. Sorry about the pronunciation if I got it wrong. Hey, guys, I've been watching you for almost six months now. Really like everything you do. He asked to hear about the story of the podcast launch um, and how we started to do this as two Americans living in America about Saudi Arabia. Richard, maybe we should do a little refresher segment on that in the coming weeks. But uh, thank you, Michelle, for your comment. We also got another one from Trimax, uh, who just a, a really nice guy, friended him on LinkedIn, actually. Um, 
He talks oh, a little bit about uh, from our video two weeks ago, Richard. Great video. KSA's efforts to fit in with both China and the UA USA may allow them to choose the best of both worlds without compromising its security position, especially as the kingdom is pushing ahead on the diplomatic front with Iran and Yemen, as well as closer cooperation with Egypt and Iraq. So uh, great video as always. He says, talks a little bit about uh, Canada. I think he's Canadian. Talks a little bit about uh, Canada's role in Neom as an investor. So um, what's up, Trimax? Hey, man. He has good comments <laughs> regularly. Yep. He does. Yeah. Informed guy. Uh, Richard, speaking of, speaking ahead, of fr friends and family listeners, um, my oldest, uh, Tyler T, as we know, uh, texted me and said, hey, dad, I was listening to the, you know, to the 966 and uh, I just wanted you to know, and he sent me a link to uh, where to get an Itihad shirt, a really good Itihad shirt. Oh, awesome. Okay, and he's, cool. And, and it's, it was heartwarming because he was clearly listening because he said it's all cotton. And I, and I happen to mention that I don't like synthetics. But uh, so anyway, uh, you know, while you were creeping out your friend, uh, my oldest was giving me some valuable information on where to get some fine Itihad apparel. So wait, you don't like the like, what about like with golf shirts? You'll wear like a cotton golf shirt. You don't, you don't wear the stretchy stuff. The people are, I'll wear a cotton t-shirt underneath it. Really? Oh man. Yeah. I love those performance polos. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> can... <laughs> I just feel, I, I guess I'm old. I don't know. They just feel funky on my skin. I, I mean, nothing to me feels as good as just cotton. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, that's it. clearly, clearly, that's what, you know, because I'm missing out on a whole, you know, a whole world of performance synthetics. <clears throat> yep. Yes, you are. Um, I now prefer the cotton or the uh, I don't know. Is it like polyester blend performance where you can like stretch the shirt all the way out and just goes right back to where it was before? Actually, I do like those. I do yeah. like those, and 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 not for golf shirts, but for shirts like the one you're wearing, collar shirts. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually looking to find some that fit. And well, so we need to get some sponsors on here, so we don't have to do any of the shop. Just <laughs> plug somebody oh, and get some. Did shirts. I tell yeah. you? Did I not tell you this? You know what I drove the other day? No way. Yes. No I way. Did. A Lucid. I drove a Lucid. Yes. Okay. Let's go. This is forget everything else. The rest of the show <laughs> is we're going to push it for a second. Tell us I, about. I, it. I meant to tell you this, and um. So I, I mentioned my buddy uh, got one. He, he, you know, he was tired of his Tesla. So he, he ordered a Lucid and he said, it's coming. And um, so we, we were out, we played golf uh, two weekends ago and he, he rolls up and this, ah, oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. So we play our round and we're talking about it. And so he, he goes, let's go for a ride and you can drive. Oh my goodness. I've never driven an EV before. Have you? I have. Yeah. Yeah, I've I have a not. Tesla before. I didn't realize it's basically power on, power off. So you know, you know, when you take your foot off the accelerator, it it essentially breaks. You know, mm -hmm. not yep. immediately, but and he said he drives it; he never uses the brake. Um, but in any case, this car is stunning, and it's roomy. It's got plenty of room for me. I'm six six. Uh, in the obviously in the front, in the back, uh, uh it's just beautiful just beautiful everything cracked up to crack you know it, it, you know you that we reporting on it uh and it'd be fun to see you know taking on a long ride and see how it goes i see him every now and then uh, i saw him the other day just tooling around because he's near fairfax city um but uh it was a, it was a blast it was a lot of fun and and obviously the pickup is 
And it's, it's just a whole different experience from an internal combustion engine, just completely different. They are just so beautifully made. There were a ton of them in FII, Richard, I mentioned. I see one out here driving around every now and then um, on one of my streets. So somebody near me has one. They're just so beautiful looking. They just got to ramp up production and get these sales out there. It was a tough quarter for yeah. them last quarter, but it's an awesome car that will shine through, I think. Yeah, well, it was quite a treat. And I was, you know, I was giddy and I'm sure I was, you know, you know, had a stupid grin on my face the whole time. Unfortunately, he's a good friend and he was patient. He was cool with it. it. Yeah, but did he get any pictures of you driving it is what I want to know. (laughs) No, he didn't. He was in the passenger seat. Now that would have, that would have been funny. But uh, (laughs) Richard, Richard, let's, uh, let's get, that's cool. That is awesome. Yes. You should have made that your one big thing this week, but I'm glad you shared (laughs) that with me finally. And if there are photos of it, I'd like to see it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but let's get going what's your one big thing this week uh after yeah i I should have made the one one big thing because my one big thing this week is is long um and i apologize in advance um but uh, it's an important topic so and as so often happens with us lucian when we you said you have for for one of your topics that you have 11 pages of notes um Obviously, we don't use all this. We clean it. But anyway, that's so, for the so, whole show. But yeah, that oh, topic right, is right. you get like you're saying you get into it and then you can't get out. <laughs> exactly. And so, all right. So this is this is the one big thing is on on drugs, uh, specifically Captagon. So if you receive our Susan Review daily newsletter, which I hope you do, uh, you'll have seen reporting on recent series of drug raids in Saudi Arabia t- actually took place during the last week of April. The raids led to the seizure of about 17 million narcotic amphetamine and Capticon tablets from 17 regions and governments at a rate of more than 3.3 million narcotic tablets seized per day. This is over a five-day period. Um, I think that's notable. 17 regions, you know, uh, you know, 17 million narcotic amphetamine. So it's obviously widespread. Um, as you know, Lucian, I mean, reports of intercepted drugs, primarily Captagon, are a regular feature of Saudi newspapers. And and you may recall this last August, Saudi authorities seized 46 million amphetamine pills, mostly Captagon, um, hidden in shipments of flour passing through the Riyadh dry port. Their value was estimated at $1.1 billion. I don't know if you recall that. <clears throat> but the challenge is smugglers are not only persistent, but they're creative. Saudi Arabia banned agricultural imports from Lebanon in 2021 after 5.3 million Captagon pills were found hidden in pomegranates from Lebanon. And, you know, the, the variety of things that are used to, to smuggle these is astounding. Um, and so while customs and border officials are scrambling to stop a flood of Captagon from Syria and Lebanon, it's also trying to, to address the widespread use of Captagon in the kingdom. Reportedly, the majority of Saudi drug users are between ages 12 and 22, and 40% of addicts use Captagon. Uh, hashish and Kat, uh, Kat, as many of you know, is produced primarily in Yemen as a chewable sort of narcotic, mild, are also common in the kingdom. But Captagon is both cheap, I mean, it's 10 to $25 a pill and plentiful. Um, we were talking beforehand. Lucian, Captagon is actually the trade name for phenethylene, which was developed in Germany in, in 1961 as a treatment for a range of conditions, ADHD, depression, narcolepsy. And as with so many drugs of the era, it was first sort of seen as a miracle drug, prescribed, le- prescribed legally for 20 years, 
Uh, and then during the 80s, increasing evidence showed that it was addictive, caused multiple unwelcome side effects, and it, it was banned by medical authorities around the world. However, because the drug is easily synthesized, uh, illegal production has thrived. And according to Vanda Felbaum Brown, who's a fellow at the Brookings Institution here in D.C., uh, Captagon was popularized in the kingdom, Saudi Arabia, some 15 years ago and has taken off really significantly in the past five years. As she says, you know, becoming on a par with with cannabis or or pot. Uh, she adds, some consumers have justified Capricorn as less of a taboo substance compared to harder drugs like opiates and cocaine. Um, this this flood of Capricorn began soon after Syria's civil war in 2011, and some of these numbers will astound you, Lucian. Um, it's pursued, it's produced and exported by a bunch of several actors, primarily Lebanon's Hezbollah, some pro-Iranian Iraqi militias, and uh, probably most prominently, uh, a Syrian production and smuggling operation that includes associates and relatives of President Bashar al-Assad, all the way up to his youngest brother, Maher. Uh, one Jordanian official, army official, estimated that there are 160 groups operating in southern Syria using drones and customized vehicles in all their operations. It is reported that the Capricorn trade is now worth more than Syria's legal export. The UK, recently, which recently imposed sanctions on Syrians connected to trade, said the Assad regime has benefited from the Capricorn trade to the tune of $57 billion. It described it as a, quote, financial lifeline, unquote, for Assad, that is, quote, worth approximately three times the combined trade of the Mexican drug cartels, unquote. Uh, so the numbers are enormous. Um, and in the U.S., just uh, this past September, the U.S. House of Representatives passed um, H.R. 6265, which is called Countering Assad's Proliferation, Trafficking, and Garnering of Narcotics Act. And that acronym is CAPTAGON Act. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and just last month, the U.S. sanctioned six of Bashar al-Assad's family members and associates. So this is a major concern domestically for Saudi Arabia. I mean, over the past year, obviously there's a, there's a, there's a use is, is uh, much more prevalent than they'd like. It's um, the drug is used in many, traditionally has been used in the, in the eighties. It was part of the band. It was used by illegally by athletes. Uh, it's you know used by some students. It does what, you know, methamphetamines does do all over the world. Um, and so it caught it has caught on in Saudi Arabia, and there's there's issues. Uh, over the past years, a number of drug rehabilitation centers have been established uh, after the government began licensing private establishments, which is considered a good thing. As we know, the kingdom is traditionally very severe on drug crimes, and in November last year, Saudi Arabia executed 20 men, 12 of them foreign nationals, for drug-related crimes. The, the, however, I mean, Captagon use impacts many Saudi youth. So, so you know, uh, execution is not likely to be a frequent occurrence and other means to inform and rehab rehabilitate uh, those addicted need to be found. Okay, so this is not only interesting in and of itself, but it's also interesting, I think, because I think it's fair to say that since the launch of the, 19, of the 966 in late 2021, we've talked regularly about Saudi Arabia's 
emerging sort of Saudi first foreign policy. And that's not a good name for it. We've got to come up with a better one. Um, but it reflects, you know, that name reflects a decision. Clearly, it's been a decision to engage and deconflict in key geostrategic areas in ways that not only calm, you know, the foreign policy neighborhood, but probably more importantly, help secure the Vision 2030 economic and social project at home. So specifically, the failed state that is Syria, the narco state that is Syria, represents more than just a geostrategic problem. It rep represents a domestic problem. You know, by just, and, you know, it's the same thing we see in the U.S. with Mexico and, and, and that drug, the drug war. Um, so it's it's a fascinating moment right now because you have Saudi Arabia reaching out to to uh, uh, diplomatically across the region and, and, and even further abroad, uh, and specifically Syria. Um, you know, Saudi Arabia is working to bring Syria in from the cold. It's renewing diplomatic and trade relations as well as supporting the Syrian return to the Arab League. This is after a decade or more of working counter to the Bashar regime. And it's clear that as part of this process, Capticon smuggling is going to be on the table. And last month when Saudi, uh, in fact, last month when Saudi Foreign Minister uh, Faisal bin Farhan al-Saud met with the Syrian Foreign Minister in Jeddah, captagon smuggling was specifically discussed. Um, a little known interesting thing uh, in the Jeddah communique back in July when, uh, when President Biden met with uh, the Crown Prince in Saudi Arabia, on their readout, Drug smuggling, interdiction, and help with drug smuggling as it pertains to Lebanon was specifically in the document. And now there are reports that Saudi Arabia is reaching out to Hezbollah as well. And you know drug smuggling will surely be a part of any dialogue there. So, um, you know, I, I wanted to first bring some attention to this Capticon issue, which is very serious. Second, uh, as Saudi Arabia looks around, you know, it's it's the outgrowth of failed states. Syria, you know, you have other issues coming from Yemen. Unfortunately, Sudan may be headed that way. Lebanon. Um, so, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of these things tie together. And if there is any kind of rapprochement with Syria, and if Syria is expecting any kind of significant Saudi investment in the reconstruction of that country, uh, or any kind of political cover as it tries to get into the Arab League. It's going to have to do something about the fact that it's become a narco state and it's flooding the region, Saudi Arabia in particular, with these methamphetamines that are very dangerous to um, to the Saudi domestic uh, domestic society and and their youth. So it, it's it's an issue to watch. Yeah, that's a really good one, Richard. This is a topic we have not discussed yet on the podcast, but it is very important. I don't see how this ends, right? If Assad is clearly at the helm of a narco state. You outlined how much money they make on these drug exports and how involved the government very likely is, according to you, the United States and its sanctions and it's the Captagon Act. They, they do such a good job at naming those acts to be very to make <laughs> a lot of sense. Um, what are they going to talk about? What, what, where is the common ground here? I mean, you have the kingdom and others in the region saying you can't you can't be welcomed back into the fold if you keep 
exporting these drugs into our borders and you have Assad on the other end of it saying, you have it, this is how I make all my money. That's a really tough thing to breach. Um, you know, in the Americas during the drug wars, the United States would point the finger at Colombia and Venezuela and Mexico and really every other Latin American state saying, stop making these drugs. And they would point the finger right back and say, stop taking these drugs and there'd be no reason to for us to make them. So it's very complex. And then you have, like you said very well, there's a domestic com component to this because you have drug usage up, you know, for these drugs in Saudi Arabia, in part because these are sort of stimulants. So they're party drugs and there are more people staying up late and not partying necessarily, although I think that's not, I'm not going out on a limb saying that there aren't more people partying in Saudi Arabia. There's just more of an open society. So there are people are hanging out late. So you know, it's this is a really this is as complex as it gets because you have a domestic component, like you said, and you have a foreign policy or a, a you know a, a international trade component to this. And you know, what is what is Saudi Arabia or anyone else going to do to stop this and also try to get Syria back in the fold? And this goes back to our discussion, Richard, about Iran and Saudi Arabia's rapprochement. It's like this is the this is one of those issues where it's like, well, I mean, this is going to be really hard to untangle. So that was a good one because it's you know, I mean. Like you said, I mean, this is going to start to be a problem domestically in Saudi Arabia, a public health issue uh, for mm. them. And it's complicated for, for sure. I think you put your finger on it. If there's money to be made in criminal enterprise, criminals will pursue that enterprise. I mean, it, 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 so, uh, you know, unless you can stop the demand somehow, and it's doubly difficult in a place like Syria where, you know, the, the criminals are you know, hand in glove with the government, with the ruling regime. I mean, so, it, you know, is Assad going to shut down his youngest brother from making, you know, $28 billion a year or whatever it is? Or, or, and, and <clears throat> yeah, so it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a difficult challenge. And, um, but it is a, it's a, it's a problem and it's a concern in Saudi Arabia. And, 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 you know, this ties back in so many things. And we talk about sports watching next week. Uh, it's going to be an interesting conversation about sports watching the next episode. And people criticize Saudi Arabia for this or that, you know, purchase or this or that advertisement or investment. And but so much of what they're doing with Vision 2030 is quality of life and participation in health and getting their their kids and their 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 populace active. Um, so, you know, so you, you when you have a when you have a board, uh, you know, non engaged population significant if that's the case and if they're young you're going to have drug problems and so a lot of what they're trying to do locally is to engage you know, youth get them active get them moving have to give them entertainment opportunities give them you know uh, employment opportunities exciting things to do so it's all part and parcel the same thing but as we know in the u.s you know drugs are insidious and and especially addictive drugs. I mean, we've, we're still in the midst of an opioid crisis here that's unfathomable. Yeah, and now fentanyl, which is just oh my just gosh. kills whoever uses it. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Richard, I feel like you brought uh, a lot of attention to something that I didn't really fully, because you see these headlines and you're sort of like, yeah, there's these pills going all over the Middle East, but you know, it's, it's already tough to ship things into Saudi Arabia and it's a very steep penalty if you do it. So it's like, 
you know, I mean, what, what else can be done, but it's, it's still ballooned out of control in Syria. And it just seems like you have now outlined and you may, you should probably go to Hollywood for this and get, uh, start writing the script for Narcos season four, Syria, um, which I thought would be a really interesting watch. Gerard Butler. (laughs) Um, Richard, my one big thing, and, and you mentioned it, um, you made a nice transition as we say in the biz by mentioning sports washing. This is not sports washing necessarily. We have a great conversation on that coming up, but we will be talking a little bit about sports and probably the number one story in sports globally, or maybe just soccer globally. We've had rumors of Messi potentially going to Saudi Arabia for months. And now those rumors are morphing into reports. Richard, this would be a huge deal actually. So I, my one big thing is the potential of Lionel Messi in Saudi Arabia with the Saudi Arabian football club Jersey on, which is kind of hard to wrap your head around before we do this. I had to go back to my WhatsApp history. January 12th is at least when I texted my boy who lives in Barcelona and absolutely loves Messi, um, that there were first reports on this. Um, we also know Richard that Aziz Al-Gashayan is excited potentially about this. He was a Barca (laughs) fan, loved Messi. Um, as I mentioned, these are reports now, not rumors. It's going to happen. Messi to Saudi Arabia, probably Al Halal. And I think it's worth looking at where we are now and how we got here. And also looking at what all this could mean if Messi does go to Saudi Arabia and plays. It's just amazing where we are. Just want to say, again, before we get further into it, look, um, I mean, Richard, we're not huge soccer guys, but I think we can agree that Messi is great. I don't have a sense of historical position here, but he's considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest. And from a personal vantage point, my goodness, what he did in Qatar was so cool. And there's nothing like that in sports. When you hype up a player, then he's expected to be great. And then he lives up to the expectation and dazzles everyone, wins it all. Just so cool. So let's turn the nozzle on the way back time machine here. Let's go back to (laughs) May 2022. Messi was officially unveiled as a brand ambassador for the Saudi Tourism Authority. That news was confirmed after pictures emerged of the PSG star, for now, arriving in Saudi Arabia for Jeddah season, which is a 2800 event festival that lasts weeks. Um, Part of that was Messi on that trip uploading a sponsored Instagram post from a yacht in the Red Sea alongside the Visit Saudi hashtag. Ahmed Al-Khatib, Saudi Arabia's tourism minister, said on Twitter at the time, quote, I am pleased to welcome Lionel Messi to Saudi Arabia. We are excited for you, Lionel, to explore the treasure of the Red Sea, the Jeddah season, and our ancient history. This is not your first visit to the kingdom, and it will not be your last. So that statement, it will not be your last, uh, is something that I said, well, that's kind of interesting. When was his first? I couldn't find his first visit to Saudi Arabia, but going back to 2019, Richard, and I think you'll find this interesting, Messi visited Saudi Arabia reportedly then for the first time in five years. So he visited Saudi Arabia sometime in 2014 and maybe before that, but he's almost on his 10th year having been in and out of Saudi Arabia. This is where it gets interesting. Messi hung out on that visit 2019 with Turkey al-Sheikh. Al-Sheikh is, of course, advisor to the royal court under the rank of minister and current chairman of the General Authority for Entertainment, head of sports, sort of the sports and entertainment guy in Saudi Arabia. The day before a Brazil-Argentina friendly game was played in Saudi Arabia on that trip in 2019, Al-Sheikh posted a video with Messi in which he made his transfer pitch to Messi. 
saying with a chuckle, I hope to have you on my team after five years when you are more cheap than you are now, (laughs) (laughs) which is so good. Hilarious. Messi on that trip scored the only goal in Argentina's 1-0 win over Brazil. So we have a relationship that goes back to a first visit in 2013, if not earlier, some courtship to bring Messi to Saudi Arabia as of 2019. He becomes tourism ambassador in the spring of 2022. Okay, so fast forward to the World Cup. November 2022, Messi is just incredible. We just talked about it, except for a single loss to Saudi yes. Arabia. Messi's team wins it all, but lost one game to Saudi Arabia. Then rumors start to fly in late 2022 into the start of 2023 when a mega contract for Messi to go to Saudi Arabia uh, is sort of teased out, while soccer's other major star, Ronaldo, actually does it. He paves the way, instantly becomes a local celebrity you know, pretty much already was, but now he's really a local celebrity, still fails to lead his team to win a championship in Saudi, Richard. And in the process, Ronaldo is treated sometimes to chants from Al-Halal fans in the stands <laughs> of Messi's name, which we know he didn't really love. Messi rumors were then quiet for a few months, and then they were suddenly not quiet anymore. May 1st, this week, Messi visits Saudi Arabia, ostensibly for his role as tourism ambassador, And these aren't just sponsored posts that he's doing, by the way, just as an aside, he's really getting to see the real Saudi Arabia going all around. And actually, if you visit, go to visitsaudi.com, the website, you'll see they have an entire page dedicated to Messi and includes things like his favorite sites to see, favorite things to do, foods to eat. It's kind of cool. Check that out. Not a, not an advertisement though, but it's just interesting. It's like visit Saudi.com slash messy. And, and you should add, he's there with his wife and two kids. So he's, he's there with his family. family and his father as well. Yeah. Um, a day later, PSG uh, suspends Messi for two weeks because apparently he didn't let them know that he was going. And this is when the torrent of ink is being spilled on paper about what's going on. Reports are emerging from France that Messi's contract will not be renewed by the, interestingly enough, Qatar-owned PSG, throwing wood on the fire that Messi is (laughs) eyeing up a deal in Saudi. Then, today, an exclusive report from The Telegraph saying the Saudi Arabian government is preparing the most lucrative salary deal in the history of football to bring Lionel Messi to the Pro League. Talks with Messi's representatives, led by his father, Jorge, are underway for when the player (laughs) becomes a free agent at the end of June upon the expiration of his PSG contract. The whole package could be worth, hope you're sitting down, $400 million annually, which would exceed the roughly $220 million, I think, ish that Ronaldo uh, got paid annually to play in Saudi until 2025. So if he doesn't go to Saudi, Richard, we still have the entire soccer world talking about the possibility. The entire soccer world is checking Messi's Instagram, refreshing it, seeing his posts, uh, sponsored posts from the tourism authority in Saudi Arabia about how green Saudi is in English and Spanish, big picture of some date farm, uh, really cool. My point here is that it's no longer ridiculous or absurd people. Ronaldo is to be thanked for this, but it's looking likely that he may go to Saudi Arabia. Again, this may not age too well because by the time this airs, he may be in Saudi Arabia, he may not be. But I guess the whole point is that you know, we're now talking about this and there have there has been a lot of at this point until the deal is signed free publicity for the Saudi Pro League and soccer in Saudi Arabia. It's a lot of money for these two, Richard. You could argue that you'd get it back in advertising and added value to the league as a whole, which is ascendant, not just because of these global stars, but because of the recent performance of Saudi Arabia's World Cup team, which I just mentioned beat Argentina and actually looked really good in the World Cup. So 
Yeah, holy Stromboli, Richard. We have ourselves a story holy brewing here. Stromboli. Count me in as somebody with a huge tub of tub of popcorn watching it over the coming days. This is uh this is gonna be something to see, and that's a lot of money. But uh we may have one of the greatest matchups face to face, Ronaldo Messi in Saudi uniforms in twenty twenty three. Well, you you mentioned this last time we talked about it. You said you know, basically you said like you know that any 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 publicity is good publicity, and this is not the same as you know the brouhaha over Ronaldo potentially grabbing his his private parts or other things. But um, yeah, it is fascinating, and it's uh, the timing is interesting because um, I guess he went to he he they they lost to Lorient, I guess. PSG's, you know, at, at top of the table by five points right now. So, uh, and I guess they lost unexpectedly to Lorient, which is, I don't know, 10-11. And Messi says that he had cleared it. He was authorized to go. But I guess due to the loss, the the, the manager says, you know, now come in, we're going to train. And so, but Messi was gone. So anyway, so there's a big blow up and he's, he's you know, he's suspended for two weeks. Um, so he'll come back for the season. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I gather he's not had a great second half this year, um, but he is messy. Uh, and you know, Saudi Arabia's always got his hand in it. I've got a, I've got a scoop here for you, though. Scoop me. Let's do it. Major scoop for Messi. And what is today? All right. So this is this is early May. Uh, next year, Lionel Messi will be playing with Inter Miami. So it's official. Inter Miami Football Club, yes. David Beckham was recently seen PSG grounds. David Beckham, the owner of the Miami Club of the US MLS, uh, former, also formerly a, a, a team member of PSG. Uh, and I just think it's going to be interesting because, you know, one of the complaints, to be honest, you know, I think Ronaldo, uh, you know, Ronaldo has intimated that he doesn't think the Saudi quality is all that good. The league is all that good. I think Messi still sees himself as in the game. Do you know what I mean? And, and, you know, and that it might he might feel like, you know, that's too big a drop for him. Of course, four hundred million dollars would cure a lot of hesitations. But it, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. I, I think, you know, and Messi, it may be, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a soccer expert and I don't have the eye, you know, but in terms of the arc of Ronaldo's career, where he, where he is now versus Messi, where he is now. I mean, does, does Messi have more in the tank than Ronaldo? I mean, the fact is Ronaldo didn't even, was barely in the rotation with Portugal for the World Cup. Messi obviously was a key part of Argentina's team. Um. So, you know, it's hard to know. All is this hard to know, but it would be, I still can't get the economics. If you're paying, you know, 400 million and 600, 400 million, 200 million Ronaldo, you know, if you're getting $600 million of value annually to that Saudi professional league, and we did a segment last week on this, was it last week on the Saudi professional league? Mm -hmm. You know, are you getting that in returns and brand value? Maybe you are. Yeah, or even if you come close to it, you're not like sinking all this money and it just evaporates. You get value to the league. Yeah. Um, I'm not seeing any official confirmation to Miami. Oh, uh, no, I'm just I'm just kidding. That's just me yapping. Oh, okay, cool. Because I was like, oh, oh man, sorry. it was a huge segment on this, sorry, and now it's sorry. totally useless. No, no, um, no this was this was yeah. podcast, uh, uh, you know, uh, just yammering. Yeah, well, I do see he did get the formal 
offer and it is for Al Halal. So there is an update, a live update, a real one <laughs> to what's going on here. But I mean, I think, um, and it's yeah. at 400 million euros. Uh, let me give them my valuable click through. Um, yeah. it doesn't say, Oh, no, yes, they, it does. 400 million a year. Yeah. yeah. The, the answer Miami is just a guess. It's closer to it's, year. It's, yeah. it's closer to home. Okay. And this is where you have to ask. And this is, you know, question any of these guys. How much is it enough? I mean, the guy's salary, he makes 41 mil right now, just in his salary alone. I think there's another 30 million in terms of, you know, PR and appearance, you know, things. So let's say he's just, he's just doing 70 million in salary. It has nothing to do with his endorsements. I mean, how much is enough? And that's always the question. The answer and is $400 million. <laughs> maybe. It may exactly be. And, you know, he may like, you know, he can go. I mean, that league becomes just even more interesting than it is already. Yeah, it's going to be, it's now 100 degrees, over 100 degrees in Riyadh every single day for the next 15 days. I imagine that it'll stay that way until October, maybe even later. They play in the winter. So, you know, his contract is up in June. He gets yeah. to spend a winter in Saudi, bank $400 million, live in the penthouse across from Ronaldo at the Four Seasons. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Richard. Uh, I would take a lot less than that to play in that league. So for me, I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> yeah, no, dude, I would, yeah, anything. Mowing <laughs> the lawn, whatever you need. <laughs> 40 million bucks, I'm there. Let, let alone 400. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. But this sort of like elevates that league to the next level. I don't really see him going to Miami again. This could age horribly. But like no one, in my opinion, I mean, U.S. soccer is so sleepy. I don't I just think that's a really big venue I, I for him. I don't disagree. I'm just being provocative. But the, the MLS is actually as a league is higher rated than the Saudi professional league. Oh, is it okay? Yeah. In terms of competition, you know, at various sources you go to, but you know, we don't know any of this and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of fun to, to speculate. Uh, and you know, I wouldn't, you know, speaking of, of, you know, return on investment, I don't know what, 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 what are, what are Al Nasser's merchandise, you know, uh, numbers since Ronaldo, you know, uh, as I, as we mentioned earlier, I, I just bought, three Itihad shirts, you know, because I was in Jeddah and the, with a friend and yeah, they love Itihad. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that I'm not seeing, I'm sure, uh, and brand value. And of course, everything about Saudi Arabia now is about soft power. And uh, this would be another example of that sort of thing in the sports world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's really cool too, because you get this like this play from Saudi Arabia where it's like rumored and now they've made an official offer. And then if you go to Messi's Instagram, like I said, you see essentially an ad for visiting Saudi Arabia. It's like kind of coordinated and sophisticated, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. Yeah. So um, yeah, soft power move here. We're keeping our eyes on it. I'm rooting for it because as podcasters on the subject of all things Saudi Arabia, we will be handed a big plate of fodder with rice around it for the next yeah. two years, whatever it would be. So yeah, very cool. Um, it, it would be something. Yeah. So, Richard, what do you think? Let's get to yes, our, our mouth-watering conversation with Nora Ortiz. This is a good one, really fun, and a nice mix-up for the boys here. Absolutely great. This is all. This is so much fun. 
Yeah, this is this is super this is fun. We, we could go to a daily podcast, but that let's might do a be podcast. It. Let's call it a nine six six. That would be great. <laughs> we should do that though, Richard. We should actually do a segment on the genesis of this. But when we did it at the very beginning, and then I feel like it's outdated now. So you know, whatever. But anyway, here's well, our I think conversation. We did it as to why we're doing it? Yeah, but yes, you're yeah. right. It is outdated for sure. Sorry, I, I, <laughs> no. stopped, I stepped all over you. That's no, all good. Our conversation with Nora Tees. We are speaking now with Riyadh-based restaurateur Nora Ortiz, who is founder of the popular authentic Mexican restaurant Don Rubens, located in the Diplomatic Quarter. Don Rubens is the first authentic taco shop in the kingdom and recently won the highly commended Riyadh Timeout Awards for Best Latin American Restaurant in the Capital City. Nora, I'm already hungry now. We haven't even started talking yet. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Welcome to the 966. Thank you for having me. This is... Uh... This is great. Let's let's just start at the beginning in your journey. You're you know you you're San Diego born and raised, right? And and here you are in in Saudi Arabia, Riyadh, uh, with one of the hottest restaurants in a booming restaurant scene. Absolutely. Uh, and let's go let's go to the beginning. How where did this all begin, and and how did it start to get you where you are now? Uh, well, first, let's take it back. I met my um, my ex-husband uh, back in 1994, I believe. Uh, we married quite quickly. Um, didn't have children for a while. I actually came to Saudi Arabia in 97 when Princess Diana died, actually. Um, a very different country back then. Uh, when I came, I covered from head to toe. Uh, there was a lot of matawas. We weren't really allowed to go out. There wasn't a lot of, uh, there was restaurants, but most most of them, there were just either men or family sections. Um, every once in a while, we'd get stopped and, you know, asked if asked for the papers to show that we were married. Um, so it was a very different time then. Uh, I stayed here for about eight months, went back home, uh, came back in 2005. And uh, the country did change quite a lot from 97. Um, and, uh, had my children, raised them, had a few, few different, uh, jobs throughout those years. And, um, and then my divorce took place. And when that happened, I said to myself, you know, you just kind of look at your life and see where are you at now? What is it that you want to do? Um, so my children were already grown up. I have uh, four children. Uh, two girls and two boys. Uh, my youngest is 14 wow. and the rest, they're young adults. So I, I decided to do something that I wanted to do, which was um, I love, I love cooking. And I said, I, one of my dreams was, one of my dreams was to open the first authentic uh, taco shop because being in San Diego, we'd cross over to Tijuana, have the most delicious tacos, uh, flautas, tortas, uh, whatnot. And um, I said, if somebody does this before I do, nothing against the Saudis, but I said, if a Saudi opens up the first Mexican, because I, I, here in Saudi, there's um, a lot of things go through like a fad. So for example, you'll see a restaurant open. It goes through this massive boom. You'll see just people standing in line trying to eat the food. And within four or five months, dies down, restaurant closes. Um, and I didn't want to be one of those stories. I said, I want to go ahead and grow this uh, organically, slowly. So I um, I did a feasibility study, uh, noticed that there was no authentic Mexican foods. Most of them were Tex-Mex, 
Uh, we have fire grills, something very similar to Chipotle. Um, there was a Taco Bell, a couple of other Mexican restaurants, but again, it wasn't uh, authentic Mexican food. And um, being raised uh, by my mother, she actually had uh, two restaurants. So uh, we, I had the recipes, I had the know-how, and, um, and I just took a chance, a very big chance, because I literally had no funds to open up this restaurant, and I still don't know how I did it, to be honest. No idea. I have to say that it's super common um, in international cities, especially in Europe. I mean, and obviously the Middle East, that there's just no authentic Mexican cuisine. And it's all the things that you mentioned, Taco Bell, Chipotle, and pretty much that's it. So when you get the craving and you're over there, it's like right. you can't get it. And there was um, there's something, too, that's really interesting. Um, when I arrived here, um, and I'm Richard's seeing there's a lot of diplomacy, including in the whole restaurant and coffee shop scene. It's starting to change a little, but... There was no concept of having a joint and mm -hmm. growing up in San Diego and you're going to Mexico. That's all you come across are little joints being ran by family. You'll see the mother in there, the father, sometimes the children helping out. So um, as an expat, I wanted to um, not just sell food, but also kind of um, has, have a sense of community in the, in the restaurant. So the beauty is I have a lot of foreigners, a lot of military guys that just come in and sometimes they even get choked up and they said, you know, they just come and say, thank you for having this place. We actually forget we're in Saudi. Um, and then I have a lot of Saudis that studied abroad and fell in love with the Mexican cuisine. And uh, it's kind of hit or miss, to be honest, because a lot of people aren't used to the the different taste. You know, we have the chile guajillo, chile ancho, the homemade corn tortillas, flour tortillas. Um, so it's been, it's, it's been a challenge, but to be honest now, it's very accepting and everybody's kind of starting to understand the whole concept of a joint. Well, there, there is one thing that Saudis do have, and that's uh, familiarity with eating with their hands. Um, and when you eat a taco, you eat it from, and I've seen photos of your restaurant online where you have a sign that says how you eat a taco is from the sides, not from the top or the bottom. This is the right way to do it. So that's, that's really cool. So uh, right. I'm back, guys. I kept I, I cut out for a bit there. I couldn't get either, either one of you. Um, I don't know if you guys copied uh, covered this, but uh, Nora, uh, who is Don Rubin? So Don Rubin is my grandfather, and Don in Spanish means you know he's the Don, the the big guy, um, and that's <laughs> what he was to everybody. Um, when he actually passed away. We found out in his funeral, um, we had people coming from different cities just wanting to pay the respect because he had helped out so many people without us knowing um, financially, um, emotionally. So uh, he's been one of the uh, one of my idols and somebody that was consistent in my life as well. You you mentioned uh, when talking beforehand, uh, Nudwa Taste, is that and, and, and the intention to open a, a second Don Rubens? You're is where are you in that process and what is Nudwa Taste? So Nudwa Taste is actually my holding company. Uh. And uh, we had to create that company so I can go ahead and have Don Rubens. Um, right now, there's been a lot of people that have approached me. They want to invest. They want to start opening all around Saudi Arabia. But I want to make sure I do it right because I do want to expand. But I want to make sure that um, my quality stays the same. And unfortunately, that's what happens in the restaurant business. It's when you're not hands-on um, and other people take it, just kind of like, a, what is this burger, um, in and out 
You know, yeah. I used to say, why aren't they everywhere? But that's the same thing. They they wanted to make sure that where they open, everything stays, you know, true to the recipes. And having a Mexican restaurant hasn't been easy because it's been very difficult for me to actually find um, a lot of the ingredients. And as a Mexican and having the Mexican chef, we're able to play around and um, and make the ingredient ourselves. So if I if you were to have somebody who is not Mexican and they can't find that ingredient, it's not going to come out the same. So I want to make sure that um, I I cover every base before I move on and uh, expanding. I want I have a, a personal experience with that, and I really appreciate that and respect that approach. Uh, our oldest son went to school in North Carolina, and there's a a biscuit chain called Biscuitville there, and uh, the owner will not uh, open a restaurant more than an hour and a half from where he is because he he wants to have quality control, which Absolutely. frustrates my frustrates my wife intensely because she loves Biscuitville, but it's five hours away. <laughs> whenever, I love that. Whenever, whenever <laughs> we're traveling south, if we're anywhere remotely close to a Biscuitville. We have to go to a Biscuitville. But anyway. Um, and stock up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, well, let's talk about the restaurant scene. And, and, and one of the, you know, one of the, and by the way, congratulations, because Don Rubens was recognized in Time Out Riyadh in the restaurant survey as one of the top uh, Latin American restaurants in in Riyadh. And I'm sure that uh, maybe, I think you were already popular and in, in, in bouncing, but that probably bumped up interest as well. But for context, Time Out, the magazine was established in 1968. It has, it does restaurant surveys now in 333 cities in 59 countries. It did its first Time Out, you know, restaurant review in Dubai 17 years ago. It didn't do a timeout Riyadh review until last year. And, and I, because there really wasn't a reason to, but now the scene is just exploding and you're part of this. Can you talk a little bit about all the, all the fascinating things that are going on in the restaurant business in Riyadh and Saudi Arabia? Well, I think with the 2030 vision um, and Saudi Arabia trying to bring in more tourism, it's, that's why it's, uh, it's exploding because people know that, um, with the tourists, they're they're demanding different types of food, so they want to cater to all of the tourists. Um, but it's something incredible. I mean, I hear every week there's a restaurant or a coffee shop opening. Um, but having said that, I think a lot of people are taking chances. Um, before, I noticed a lot of people didn't do feasibility studies, and that's something that I suggest for everyone to do and to have before opening a restaurant because as fast as they open, they close as well. Mm-hmm. So isn't that, um, isn't that true globally? You're right. Uh, it's, it's a, it's hit or miss with the restaurant business with F and B. You're absolutely right. It's, mm-hmm. it's a tough business. And I, you, you sent a WhatsApp message. I think every WhatsApp message you sent when, and I can always, always tell when people are super busy because they're always audio messages. <laughs> that's <laughs> a big that's a saudi wide thing now it's all it, just saudi it, well, well but it, every, every uh, nor each time you send a message for frequently it, it you have that you're at the restaurant and you, you know there's a, a you know all sorts of you know noise, noise in going the back. on and you know it sounds really busy and active and you're in the middle of it 
I'm either in the car or I'm in the restaurant. So um, that's where the audio comes from because I can't type. <laughs> but no, I'm Nora, hands on my business. And where's your, where is your family from? I know you were born in San Diego. Um, I've been fortunate to travel and Richard has as well to, to a lot of places in Mexico, West Coast, East Coast, Mexico City. Where no, is your family originally from in, in Mexico? So Don Ruben, this is from my mother's side. They're actually Familia Tapia. Originally, my grandfather was from Vasco, Spain, migrated to Mexico, and they're from Michoacan. Okay. And my father's side, uh, rest in peace, uh, his family originally was from Guanajuato, and then they went down to Tijuana, Mexico. I think, I think Mexico City is one of the top, at least my top three cities for food globally. It's unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Can't recommend Absolutely. it high, higher enough. I mean, it's just incredible. But for me, it's Oaxaca. Oaxaca is the hands down. I mean, it has the best food. It's I think it's the the cuisine stays uh, very true to the heritage and culture. Of course, every region uh, has its own way of preparing the food, um, even to their drinks. So it's it's very, very different um, and it varies a lot from region to region. Um, but I think Oaxaca and the capital city of Mexico, it's, they're probably both of them are up there in my are there do you do you find similarities between Mexican culture and Saudi culture? Well, actually, uh, Mexican the Arabic food, uh, especially Lebanese and Turkish food, and the tacos de pastor originated from uh, the Turkish people. Fascinating. Um, so, so you you mentioned that the tourist. I mean, is your clientele at uh, Don Rubens, is it is it primarily Saudis or primarily tourists or a fifty fifty mix? Um, I think about maybe Saudi and um, tourists. I've seen a few tourists, uh, but mostly they're foreigners, military. Uh, I am in the diplomat quarter, so I do get a lot right. of people from overseas. <laughs> And the diplomatic quarter, when when I was, you know, I, I first lived in the in Saudi Arabia in the eighties, and the diplomatic the DQ was going up at the time, when I was first there. Uh, it, it's much more accessible and much more popular now. You know, the, you, at the time, it really wasn't where people went, uh, except unless they had a meeting. Now it's 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 a social place to go. It is. They said it'll be the new business hub. It's still pretty difficult to actually access. So when people come in, they're they're constantly telling me, "Can you just go out? You know, open up a another place outside." So I'm actually in uh, in the midst of actually purchasing a food truck because I decided just to go ahead and uh, concentrate a little bit more in my restaurant, do a couple of changes because I've just been open barely a year, and uh, do the food truck uh, in the evening. And just kind of station it out, you know, different places throughout Riyadh. Um, but because you're not busy be enough, enough, right? Because I'm not busy enough, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm do you starting have... to do events. Oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, no. I was just going to ask, do you have, so on your like drink menu, your bebitas, do you have uh, sort of the standard offering of authentic Mexican drinks, just sans alcohol? So we have the jarritos, number one, which are the traditional uh, sodas in Mexico. Um, I do serve the three top uh, aguas frescas, which in every business in Mexico has to have, which is the agua de Jamaica, agua de tamarindo, and agua de horchata. Uh, I just actually did a small talk regarding the waters. 
the Agua de Jamaica, which is the hibiscus water, it actually originated from the Egyptians. And Agua de Tamarindo originated from India and Agua de Horchata from Rome. But these are the three top waters that uh, we have to have in every restaurant and household. And then again, depending on the region and different um, weather conditions, the waters start to vary. So like in the summer, you'll see a lot of um, Agua de Pepino, which is cucumber water, Agua de Sandia, watermelon. And during the now in the summer, that's what I've been doing. I'm playing around with different waters and those sell like crazy. People just love it. Oh, huh. fascinating. Yeah. Have you had it? Have, <laughs> have you, uh, in terms of uh, clientele, have, have, have you had seen a drop off at all or has it, has it remained strong? Because as you say, there's a tremendous amount of, uh, of you know, restaurants that open, friends number of restaurants that open and don't last. Uh, so thank God um, my sales keep going up every month. Wow. And I did no marketing. Um, again, like I said, to be honest, um, I, I hate to say this, but I believed I was going to fail. Um, when I was opening, I was trying to look for investors. Nobody wanted to touch my business. They'd say, no, you're going to fail. They literally told me that there's there's no there's no money in this. When I told them I was opening up in the diplomat quarter, they said, absolutely not. Uh, one gentleman was about to um, start business with me, but when he was looking at the area, he's like, there's not enough customer base here. I said, okay. Um, I went ahead and it took me a year to open the place. I, I don't know if you came to my the restaurant, but I was very hands-on everything. I did my own tables. I painted. Um, I did my own <laughs> sink. So it's very homemade and you can tell it's kind of wear and tear now. Um, uh but slowly it's been growing. So now I'm starting to invest a little bit more in the restaurant, but thank God. Yeah. It's, it's literally growing organically. And that's the way I wanted to. I, I was, um, I didn't want to invest too much in case I did fail. Apart from your 14 year old, are any of your kids involved in the enterprise? My son, Mohammed, he actually helps me with, uh, financials. My huh. daughter Hassa, um, Instagram, a little bit of the social media. Uh, my son Khalid, he comes in, tastes the food. So <laughs> my daughter Haya will bring in her friends. So that's. <laughs> I was going to volunteer for that job. Dang. Know, exactly. So, so, but this is this we do is, different uh, specials. We 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 bring out different things during the week. So just try to keep the customers happy, and they always come in. They're like, "Is there something new on the menu?" And we're like, "Yeah, we have this today." So that's uh, wonderful. Pork, it's a family affair. Pork is huge, and and so you can't serve that right in your in your menu right so i'll alternate things for example the tacos de pastor will use uh chicken uh which is you know white meat and it tastes pretty much the same because i use the achiote um when we do the beans i'll add turkey bacon instead of pork bacon so there's mm -hmm. different stuff my homemade tortillas i make them with vegetable shortening so we do have uh, a huge client base of vegans and um and uh vegetarians so it definitely appeals to them. This is fascinating. I mean, you're truly, a, I mean, a, a pure entrepreneur and founder and, you know, oh. a, a to Z in terms of making this happen. Uh, and uh, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be, as you look, I think that's interesting on the food truck. Um, it, as you look to expand, I mean, you have a real challenge because so much of Don Rubens is you and there's only so much of you to go around. Uh, so it'll be interesting because I, I suspect there's now you, you probably wouldn't have difficulty finding investors. 
No, I wouldn't. But um, yeah, I think it's kind of uh, at this point right now, I just want to, uh, I'm probably working about 30% of my capacity. Um, I want to just make sure that I, I build a strong structure foundation. And, and if I do decide to sell or do decide to take on a, uh, a partner, I know at least what I'm worth, what the company's worth. Um, but for now, I, I can't even do a financial evaluation because I'm not working to my capacity. I just increased my hours by one hour because I was closing at nine and people are like, do you do know that this is Saudi Arabia? People are eating at two, three in the morning. <laughs> but it was kind of like a marketing gimmick because by 730, people are rushing to the restaurant. So we would get this you know, huge line. I mean, there was a couple of times that we actually had to close just so we can refresh everything because I had the line that would go outside. It's been crazy. Richard, I'm looking at the Instagram right now and I'm so hungry. I missed breakfast this morning. This this is is your daughter's work, right? Daughter's work, yeah. Yes. Yes. At donrubens.sa. Check it out. Oh my gosh. This looks amazing. Will Will you be there later this month, Lucian? Yes, I will. And my family will be coming as well. So you will see four okay. of us at your at your restaurant. I'm definitely going to go. And Richard, we talked really briefly just before. Um, you, international cities outside of the, the Americas rarely have a very authentic Mexican restaurant. There are a lot of imitations. You get a lot of, you know, like you said, Tex-Mex. Mm-hmm. And right. it just does not scratch the itch in the same way. And so this is really cool. <laughs> no, just make sure you let me know. We, we do everything fresh. We're, I mean, we're in the restaurant by 730 um we start the flautas the salsas we do volcanes amazing something runs out that's it you know we're are you able to find good good saudi employees uh yes i actually have a three right now um most of them are baristas a lot of them do work in the coffee shop industry my cashier um we have a couple of chefs that you know trying to come in and they're saying you know can you give me a chance so by speaking about chefs, I'm actually, I'm seeing the competition now starting to grow. So there's a lot of little places now popping up here and there, very similar to mine, uh, which is great, but that's why I need to step up my my game and, and, and just, you know, make sure that I concentrate on my dishes more than anything and try to, you know, take on new different uh, items, uh, new challenges, because like I said, there's a lot of people now trying to open up taco shops and it'll continue. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's a, it's a, it, but as you say, you know, we'll see if they can, you know, follow in your footsteps. Um, yeah, it's market validation. I mean, it, it just, yeah, it, it, it shows that people love what you're doing. So that's good. No, absolutely. So it's, it's flattering to me, but the thing is that a lot of them do have a lot more uh, money to actually invest and put into the business. So, I mean, uh, there's a restaurant uh, opening up, I think in a few months and, uh, I went and I looked at the restaurant and it's like, oh God, if I had a place like that, you know, it was just beautiful, very high end, but I think it'll be more like Mexican fusion. Yeah. I'm, I'm against, yeah. I'm against fusion uh, with Mexican food. I just think, you know, you have to stay true to your uh, culture and heritage. It doesn't need to be fused. It's delicious enough as it is and it's authentic. Yeah. It has to be simple just with the beautiful colors and the salsa. It's very simple. Um, that was one of the challenges because people here are used to all these sauces and creams on everything. Um, so some of my reviews, um, I've become kind of popular because the way I comment on my reviews, people say <laughs> I take it very personal, but I'm like, well, why wouldn't I? I'm not this huge company. I'm just, it's a, you know, mom and pop shop. So I've literally told people to go eat at Taco Bell. <laughs> <Just> nothing <laughs> <in the restaurant. laughs> 
<laughs> which is good too. I, you know, in my opinion, I, I like Taco, Taco Bell, Bell, but it is not. It is a I, I totally different Bell. cuisine. I'm yep. going to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, that's just something that you know, growing up in San Diego, like I remember after like a football game, we'd all go to Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> Do you come back to the U.S. much? Um, after COVID, I haven't been back since COVID, but I will be going in June. I'm so excited. So um hoping to stay in Coronado just by the beach. I miss home a lot, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure family misses you too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We're we're planning and my mom's having a huge party. And I told my mom, just whatever you do, don't have a taquisa, a taco thing. I said, I, I don't want to see another taco. <laughs> Anything but that. <laughs> but she said it's too late, you know, we're gonna have a taco. <laughs> Are you seeing Nora and, you know, cause you're, you're bringing unique talent to this and, and, a, and obviously a, a, an energy and a, and a determination that is unique to you and someone who's really committed to their craft. Are you seeing more Saudi born, more Saudi sort of uh, authentic restaurants open up? Uh, yeah. Um, and, and fusion Saudi food as well. I mean, um, you were here. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing what you know. We have a lot of foodies. That's what they call themselves, foodies, and and it's great to see because that was something that was kind of a taboo for Saudis to be in that industry back in the day. Yeah. Um. So it's something beautiful. I mean, I've just like artists, um, you know, musicians and and whatnot. It's uh, Saudis. Just it's it's growing really really fast. I mean, it's F and B it's something to reckon with, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's a big boom. Yeah. Fascinating. And as I said, you know, it's, it's, it's sufficient and exciting and creative enough for, you know, plays things like time out to notice. And, and, you know, the last one, you know, first one the last year, uh, they'll do another one this year. I'm sure it'll be much, you know, increasingly competitive every year. Um, which, which is makes it exciting because you were, you know, you were, commended and recognized as as a really notably good restaurant in in Riyadh so that's that's something yeah thank you so much I was actually shocked you know when they called me and they said you know you were uh one of the restaurants that has been nominated and I just I, I couldn't believe it I was like oh my god okay, this is great um <laughs> and then when I got the award I mean I just the tears were just come coming down my face <laughs> Oh, uh, Nora, this is exciting, and and um, uh, Lucian, I'm not sure if you want you have you you want to add on this. I don't want to I don't want to get too far afield. I have a lot of questions, but I think we've gotten to to your story and how exciting it is and how unique it is in Riyadh. And I hope we can we can continue to follow because I you know I'll be interested to see how the food truck does, and if that leads to even more things, and your next restaurant. <laughs> absolutely and and the fun thing is is that i've um people have taken an interest i had nbc one which is something similar to maybe like fox uh -huh. they came from dubai to do a huge piece on me um i did a lecture the other day to uh mexican cuisine um we just did another one in arabia news and i did the whole uh show in arabic my arabic wow. it's not the best but that was that was quite interesting so uh, yeah, it's been, it's been great. I'm, I'm so happy that, um, we're able to teach people, uh, the Mexican gastronomy, uh, here in Saudi. It's, it's That's awesome. very impressive. And the, are you, so you, you started learning Arabic back in 1994, 96, 97 no, when you first got there? 
no, no, no. I mean, when I was back in the States, I, I didn't, I mean, my husband would speak, my ex-husband, and I didn't understand anything. But once I came in 2005, uh, my daughter has started literally kindergarten the next day. So I said, okay, let me go ahead and learn Arabic with her. And I would sit there, do homework with her and learn my alphabet. And just, you know, when I would go to the parties, everybody spoke in Arabic. So I started to focus a lot and uh, I taught myself. Amazing. That's really impressive. That's really impressive. Restaurateur yeah. Nora Ortiz, founder of the popular authentic Mexican restaurant, Don Rubens, the original located in the diplomatic quarter. Nora, this was so fun, and I'm really hungry, as I said, and uh, I hope to see you in a few weeks when I'll be there to, to um, You have my Instagram. You ask Richard for my phone number. Make sure yep. you let me know when you're coming. We'll do something special. So I'll go ahead and say this now. I'm actually going to start having breakfasts as well. So we'll have like chilaquiles, eh, huevos yes. rancheros. Um, so hopefully by next week, I'll be introducing breakfast. So that'll be something new uh, um, when you come. We're, we're waiting for Lu you. Lucian, your timing's perfect, and I'm extremely jealous. Amazing. Be, <laughs> be prepared to be shocked at how much I can eat, by the way. <laughs> be prepared to be very shocked. But yes, <laughs> very much looking forward to it. Well, I'm looking forward to meeting you. Thank you so much. That was our conversation with Nora Ortiz. You can visit her restaurant in Riyadh. It's in the Diplomatic Quarter. Um, I plan to do that this month. Uh, <laughs> and she was just really great. It was a great conversation. We thank her for her time. That was, Richard, that was fun. That was awesome. And another, uh, another uh, joy of doing the 966, um, I happened to meet Nora uh, in March, just in conversation at a friend's house. We both know. Uh, and we got to chatting and she's an interesting person. And, you know, that's what we get to do here. If you find an interesting person doing interesting things, invite them to be on the 966. And it's a great conversation. Yep. And uh, again, starting to get hungry, just thinking about Mexican food. Still haven't had it since the conversation. So I'm that's that's on the menu tonight, Richard. Um, <laughs> let's get to yellow. What do you think? Saudi in a minute. Yellow. <laughs> All right. Number one. <laughs> Amina startups raised seven million in April 2023, a 93 percent decline year on year. Uh, in April 2023, startups based in the Middle East, in Middle East and uh, North Africa, raised roughly seven million, a drop of 97 percent compared to uh, March 2023, and a 99 percent drop compared to April 2022, uh, according to a report in Wamda, which uh, which we shared uh, on susi.com today. This significant decline can be attributed in part to the holy month of Ramadan, in which private sector activity often slows, but the steep drop also highlights the decline in tech startup investment globally. Yeah, I mean, this is not good. So that's a significant decline. Seven million is very, very small. The number of deals is small. And it's frankly inaccurate to blame it on Ramadan, right? So in 2022, last year, which began, Ramadan began in April 2nd, so April was the whole month of April was Ramadan last year. You had MENA deals at 297 million, 29 deals. Um, you know, a, a 2 million decline in 2022 from month on month. So before Ramadan, you had $2 million more of deals. So yeah, I mean, Ramadan is not what's to blame here. What you also have a problem with still in the Middle East region on the VC side is that you have these numbers that are encouraging, but a lot of, and they're trending in the right direction, except for this, which was not good. But 
you know, you have these these individual mega deals that just drive everything. And then outside of that, it's really small. So last year during Ramadan, you had a $170 million Series C round for Foodix. So, I mean, that drove a lot of that numbers. So it's a weird time for VC and private equity, Richard. Never has really been the same since the invasion of Ukraine, like a lot of things. Then you had the melt- meltdown of FTX. And you have the fall of SVB, Silicon Valley banks, and now two other banks and the ice cold IPO situation in the West. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is going to be very concerning to people over there, I can tell you. And also uh, things are cyclical, so let's not freak out here. This is the time to plant the seeds for VC. No VC winter lasts forever, but this is not good. I wonder, too, that's, that's a good one. I know you're spending a lot of time in the sector, um, so that was valuable. Uh, I wonder, too, if there isn't uh, a change in focus. I mean, Saudi Arabia has been over in terms of VC investment. I mean, it's a lot of point of sales. It's a lot of fintech, a lot of uh, delivery systems. Um, You know, that's really dominated investment. Uh, I I wonder if it's going to be turning to other sectors and maybe there aren't promising, you know, uh, opportunities right now or they're not ripe or they're not ready. Um, but th- these are the sorts of things that we've talked about a lot on the show and, and Saudi Arabia, as I keep saying, is having a moment. It's going to have to deal with these kind of downturns. Uh, this is similar things in, you know, in foreign direct investment, they, it's not quite what they want to see. You're going to have ebbs and flows. Uh, but yeah, this is interesting. I, I, you, you wonder if it is, as you say, it's a, it's a structural thing with all the things going on, Ukraine, SVB, you know, FTX. Uh, or if it's a uh, it's a more local environmental thing where there's been a, a, a reassessment or or the next opportunities aren't ready. Yeah, I mean, you can't invest money in things that just aren't there or not a good investment. So it's not necessarily on the investors per se that this drop is there. But and, and I think you said it very well, a lot of these technologies that have emerged and that are getting the big dollars in Saudi Arabia, especially are light tech, it's food delivery apps and, you know, network based things that while they do create jobs, that's one thing that they do very well, like, you know, delivery apps and stuff like that. They don't, they're not exportable. So you don't get to really, this, these fintech, you know, companies are not going to be exported to San Francisco and then, you know, They'll, right. they'll start making money from that because the tech is already there in San Francisco. So, yeah, I mean, this is just like not good. But um, I think next month is now really important. If they have another very slow month, you'll see that this is going to be a trend. Right now, it's just, hey, you know, this is a really bad month, but the system and the ecosystem is thriving. But I mean, you know, this is very low. This is low. This is like 2017 numbers, Richard, when they were just getting started and there was one or two deals that got, you know, a couple million bucks. But you know what you know what this means. I think it's time to get uh, Amjad hey, Ahmed want, or yeah, Al Bayouk back on. Yeah, yeah. Bayouk, you know, one of those two back on the show. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'll I'll reach out to I'll reach out to them. Maybe you know we, we haven't. Well, we'll talk, but I'll reach out because yeah, that would be timely. Yeah, yeah, Iyad would be good because they just closed their fund for Flat Six Labs in March. Um, I think it was March and it couldn't go to the party. I was there, but I, and it was actually in my hotel, but I couldn't go to his party, um, which is <laughs> yes, kind of funny. Sir. I could have just walked downstairs and gone, but, um, and Amjad, you know, Amjad, you know, has the, uh, has a, a, you know, he's part of a group that's, that's works with PIF. Yep. Um, so anyway, yeah, we have, we have, we have so much 
you know, our network is deep and rich at the 966. It sure is. It sure is. And this would be good, something good to revisit. Um, and this is something that, you know, we're rooting for because this would be, this is the number yeah, one way important. to create jobs and SME value and all that stuff, supply chain, um, localization. Like if you can get this, then everything else pretty much takes care of itself just as it does here in the US. So we're rooting yeah. for this, but this is, this number is shocking. Yeah. 7 yeah. million is nothing. So yeah. Uh, yellow number two. Um, sorry about the down. The we're gonna go up and down <laughs> yes. here. So strap in. You know, get a cup of coffee. We're gonna have some well, now. Now, we, now the now the ascent begins. Yeah. So With the remaining pay surges for those willing to work in Saudi Arabia, according to Bloomberg, banking jobs remain plentiful and salaries are surging in one expected corner of the world. Not to us, but to many Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Quote, it's a pay boom driven by the expansionist zeal of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who is flush with cash from oil sales and determined to make the economy a financial powerhouse. But on the ground, hiring is proving to be a challenge. Still, recruiter Hayes PLC estimates that most banking professionals in Saudi Arabia can earn roughly 20% more than their counterparts in Western financial centers. Uh, this was a good article. This was Bloomberg, and they, and they they it was useful because they looked at the, all sides of it. It's actually it's reflective of a lot of things in Saudi Arabia. You have a you know they're they're endeavoring to make a a compelling economic and commercial argument for you to come. And absolutely, you have uh, finance and banking companies are flocking to the kingdom because this is where deals are being made. This is where money's being spent. Mega projects, uh, significant investment underway by the government in the in in the context of a generally a, a global downturn or a more stagnant global economy. So there's a lot of people coming. But this is, you know, but that means people. People have people have to come. And there's there are folks that'll that'll take that uh, 20 to 30 percent uh you know premium to be there. And there are other folks who say, you know, I don't want to be there because the quality of life isn't where I want it to be. And it, and it, it isn't necessarily about uh, conservatism or or that sort of thing, but it is about, you know, opportunities for kids, entertainment opportunities, uh, these things that they feel maybe aren't on a par with Dubai or Europe or elsewhere. So, and this is this is the challenge that Saudi Arabia faces, and it's the challenge that it talks about a lot and is devoting a lot of energy and, and focus to, which is improving the quality of life across the board. But this article I thought was good because it 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 talked about okay, here's a commercial, here's a commercial proposition. Plenty of people are taking it, although there aren't enough Saudis really that are are uh, have the skills commensurate and necessary to fill all these spots. But plenty of people are taking the commercial opportunity, but also plenty of people are declining it because, in their opinion, Saudi Arabia is just not there for their personal needs yet. Yeah, but they're working on it. I mean, it's one hundred percent. You know, like I mean, they, I mean yeah. That, yeah, that you know that's offered. Sorry to interrupt. That's offered in the context of the you know jaw dropping change that's secured occurred in the last you know seven eight years i mean the the, the point is not you know that we're not talking about you know a bear and desert you know we're, we're talking about real changes in saudi arabia but even so you know it's still got a ways to go for some people mm -hmm. you know and for some people it may never get there i mean there's some people who have to have alcohol in their lives you know you're not going to go to saudi arabia right now if that's the case yeah, or or people that 
you know, don't want to have live in a place where it's 100 degrees every single day. I mean, bankers are going to spend most of that inside, so it shouldn't right. matter too much. 20% more to live and work in Saudi Arabia seems like it's kind of the right number, but obviously this article says it's a little bit low. Um, but well, yeah, I mean, this is just interesting because it, it brings up, well, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, sorry, sorry. No, that's good. Well, I was just going to say, it, this sort of brings up the concept of like the, the question, and I, I sent this out to a smaller group of my friends that is all in finance. And I said, Hey, like, you know, what do you think about this? And it just, all it does is raise the question of what's it going to take to get you to move to Saudi Arabia. And so, you know, there, you get a lot of hyperbole and BS on that, but essentially, you know, a lot of them were saying, yeah, I mean, I, I would rather move there than move here, you know? So you're, you're sort of like, Oh, well, interesting. I would think about it for a little bit more money. You know, there's a Cipriani in Riyadh so I could eat there every night. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's like, it, it makes it sort of a question. And so obviously they're having trouble recruiting people to do it. Um, and they're having even more trouble recruiting locals to fill the roles that are just frankly above their capabilities. But, you know, what would it take? It's essentially the question to move there. And so, I don't know, this is, an, this is just an interesting piece and kind of interesting but, to think about. And that's the important thing to take away from this conversation, the delta between what would it take and the quality of life required is narrowing considerably because of what's being done in Saudi Arabia and the, and the reforms and the relaxation of a lot of things. Um, you know, it's just for some people that Delta is still too great, but it's narrowing. And that's, you know, the whole, the whole point of, of, of vision 2030 and so much of what they're trying to do is, is, you know, the direction in which you're headed. The fact that you're not there is, is a reality for every country in the world, but it's certainly the direction they're headed. Yeah, I mean, that's really well said. For me, the answer is, you know, I don't know because I want my kids to be American and I really like our lives in America. I think it's great, but I really like visiting Saudi Arabia. So it's, you know, it's somewhere right in the middle, but I, you know, I don't know. I feel like, Richard, we should have a 2x on our salary living here January to March because it just really sucks here January to March. It's so cold <laughs> and it's always wet. There's, it's dark all the time. And then you go to Saudi Arabia in January and it's 80 degrees. It's perfect and sunny and dry. So, you know, it's just like anything else, but uh, this is interesting, interesting combo. It is. Uh, yellow number three, Aramco in talks with Sinopec in Total on 10 billion Saudi gas deal, according to Bloomberg. Uh, Sinopec and Total Energies uh, are among companies holding talks to invest in the Jafura development in Saudi Arabia, according to people familiar with the matter, as the kingdom seeks to exploit one of the world's largest untapped gas fields. The Chinese and French energy giants are in separate discussions with Saudi Aramco about the plans that may include the construction of facilities to export the fuel as LNG, liquefied natural gas, some of the people said, asking not to be identified because the matter is private. Yeah, this is concerning because you had Baker Hughes, Schlumberger, Halliburton getting things set up over there at Jafura. And now you have non-US companies in talk with Aramco for this. So Jafura is an unconventional gas field, Richard. It's Aramco calls it the most ambitious in its history. It covers an area of 17,000 square kilometers, huge. Uh, it's the largest liquid-rich shale gas play in the Middle East. So liquid-rich meaning condensates and NGL. It's beneath uh, a basin, um, uh, and that has 200 trillion standard cubic feet of natural gas. So it's a lot of natural gas. And yeah, I mean, this was sort of launched in 2022 
and at the time was positioned as the second largest shale play outside of the US. And you, you remember at that time, that was sort of at the very end of Saudi Arabia going toe to toe with shale in the US, like at the very end of that time frame. Um, and Amin Nasser at the time said, you know, a lot of people said it's not going to work outside the US. Uh, he said, quote, fracking uses a lot of water. We are not rich in water, but we are using seawater. So like that was kind of, we haven't heard a ton about this for, you know, a little while, but seeing these non-US names is not cool because Schlumberger, Halliburton and Baker Hughes all helped develop the technology to fracture the rock and release the oil and gas it holds in, uh, in Saudi there. So I don't know. Well, you know, I think it's, I'm trying to decode, decode this because uh, yes, this is a major play, and we've talked about it on the 966, and it's of extreme interest to us because it's a transitional sort of play, you know, between, uh, you know, crude and hydrogen, you know, uh, uh, fossil fuel burning and uh, clean energy. You know, natural gas has seemed to be a, a lower emitter. It's a, it's a, it's an unconventional, it's a shale play, you know, at depths, uh, un, you know, that very deep. And so it's technologically, it's going to be difficult, difficult. Um, but as you said, it, it, it was intended to produce a lot of natural gas to offset domestic consumption. And also it was also, it's also intended to be a carbon capture exercise so they can produce blue hydrogen. So it, it, it it's a big swing and they've, they've committed, you know, they, they anticipate it's going to be over a hundred billion dollars all in. They've already spent 10 billion. And and that was that's what's interesting. I think that's where your Schlumberger and others are uh, in the in the engineering procurement and construction contracts that they let uh, last year. Um, Ten billion dollars worth has already been out. the The difficulty is is this is they they project that it's a sixty eight billion dollar project just now on its life term long term, but you know to get it up and running and get it where they want it to be by twenty thirty. They need $68 billion. And, and I wonder, so they need foreign investment. And so two things, one, that Sinopec and Total, I think they're talking about investment. Uh, they aren't necessarily talking about unseating some of the contractors that uh, we'd like to see be mostly American. And why not? You know, if you're talking about shale skill, there's none better than the U.S. But the other th interesting thing is, as you know, I mean, LNG markets have, have really boomed. And there, there's new markets and opportunities open in Europe, and 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 they're talking here about the possibility of exporting some of this fuel. I don't think that was in the original thinking. Um, so it's interesting how this might be morphing. I, I mean, they still have to they still have to execute it, and they have to capture it, and they have to do it, you know, uh, in an economic uh, in a, in a, a profitable way but maybe some of it's going to be exported because these new markets are available to Saudi Arabia, uh, as well as hopefully used for blue hydrogen and, and offsetting domestic consumption. But anyway, it sounds like the project is evolving a little bit. They've always needed investment. And maybe, you know, when we're talking about Sinopec and Total, they're, they're talking about investment as much as anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Those will juice up the FDI numbers. Right. Yeah, mean, that would. <laughs> so that that's would. that'd be huge. So um, yellow number is it four. Me? Is it you? Yeah, it's it is me. you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yellow number four. 
Saudi economy edging closer to reducing dependence on oil, the IMF says. According to Reuters, government-led reforms and the growth of private investment in new sectors will help support non-oil economic growth in Saudi Arabia amid an expected sharp slowdown in overall growth this year. A senior IMF official said, the Saudi economy grew 8.7% last year as high oil prices boosted revenue and led to the kingdom's first budget surplus in almost 10 years. Um. So I think we can go anywhere with this this article. I mean, <laughs> you know, indeed, this is correct. We can almost say Saudi economy edging clear closer to reducing dependence on oil, and you can almost leave it at that. Yes, they are. I mean, they, they, you don't know when they get there. We don't know what the percentage is per se, um, and uh, and you know, so yes, I, I will say it's been interesting to watch um, in terms of budget revenues for for Saudi Arabia, the oil and non-oil revenues. Um, and they've done a good job, but some of that is VAT and other things. Um, in 2016, the non-oil income was 186 billion Saudi reals. 2022 is 392. So more than double in that, um, you know, that uh, roughly five, five year, six year to span. Uh, so they're headed in the right direction in terms of, you know, how, you know, getting other revenues other than oil. Uh, they just got a long way to go and everything's, you know, they want in terms of the, of the non-oil per percent of the GDP, it's in the forties. Now they want it to get to 65% by 2030. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to tell what the actual trajectory is on that when your oil revenue, you know, spikes like it has, um, uh, but anyway, this is this is an important part of it, and you know everything. You know, as it says, everything they're everything they're trying to do is this. You know, get the private sector going, and and that's why it's concerning, as as we mentioned, and you mentioned on the on the the VC yellow. You know, you don't want to have that sort of backslide because that's so important to the larger economy in terms of moving away from oil dependency. Yeah, and you also had this really good report. The latest April PMI numbers came out, and they're awesome. Oh my goodness! Um, Non-oil business accelerated sharply in April. Um, Riyadh Bank Saudi Arabia PMI jumped to fifty-nine point six in April from fifty-eight point seven in March. Anything above fifty is growth, so they're just right. growing faster than they were a month before. But um, yeah, I mean that was that was really good news. So yeah, I mean this is not something you're going to see overnight. You just hope that the trajectory you're on you know, after you shoot out of the cannon, lands you in the right spot. And that's, you know, we're midair, basically. It's really good. PMI is, you know, hitting hitting some very, some some highs. IPI, Industrial Production Index, um, is also flying along. So, I mean, it, it's all coming along nicely. Mm -hmm. We see we see the oil price globally sort of flattening out. It dropped below 80, even though Saudi Arabia and OPEC took a, a million barrels off the market not too long ago. Um so we'll see if there might be something else coming in that in that area, um, because generally, you know, people are seeing aren't seeing you know skyrocketing oil prices. Mm -hmm. uh, yellow number five payments giant Visa Inc has made its first open banking investment in the Middle East, joining Tiger Global Management and backing UAE-based fintech firm Terraboot Gateways' latest fundraising, which outlines an expansion to Saudi Arabia. Uh, Terraboot raised $32 million to fund its expansion in Saudi Arabia, also tapping local investors such as Pinnacle Capital and Al Jazeera Capital. 
Yeah, Richard, we did do a little thing on VC earlier. What's interesting about this, so this will go into it, you know, the May numbers. So you're going to beat the $7 million, although this is a UAE-based company. Still, those are $7 million was for the MENA region, which is astounding. It's like, you know. Um, but what's interesting about this is the quote from the founder, uh, Abdullah Al-Moyed, who said, there are, quote, there are a few regions in the world that still present great opportunities, and we're in one of them. The funding environment globally is, quote, only going to get worse before it gets better, he said. Um, VC deals are slowing down big time, but this is good. And, and this is sort of something that, from what I can see anyway, is not slowing down, which is expansion into Saudi Arabia. You got the market there. You know, a lot of these tech companies are not necessarily emerging from there, but you can get money from there to expand there and get your shop set up and start doing business in Saudi Arabia. So this is good. It's also good because Tiger Global is, you know, a massive yeah. sort of A-list private equity firm. And then you have Visa. So like those are two really solid backers for for this. It is. And that's a good point. There's a market that exists. So, you know, even if it's not uh, a new and, a, you know, you, you, you know, established uh, technologies can come in and take advantage of the market that weren't there before outside of VC and that sort of thing. Yellow number six, Middle East is set to outpace other regions in growth of travel demand, according to Radagain, which I've never heard of. The Middle East region <laughs> is expected to outpace all other travel markets in its rate of recovery for travel demand in the April to June quarter. According to India headquartered travel technology firm Radagain, that's why I've never heard of them, India headquartered. Radagain's latest pulse export, excuse me, Radagain's latest pulse report estimates that international arrivals in the region will be 15% higher this summer than the all time high figures of 2019. Really, this summer, it's, <laughs> it's going to be really hot. But yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, this was interesting. It's a good addition. I mean, it's it is interesting to look. Is it rate gain or rata gain? Oh, it's probably rate gain. I don't know. I same same. It's got to be rate gain. It's, that makes do. more sense. So I'm really uh, sorry, rate gain HQ in India. <laughs> it's okay, but this is actually this is from Skift, which is, does a lot of good stuff on tourism. That and it's a good publication. So you know, it's uh, it does a lot of cool things. You know, interesting was uh, one of the things that threw in there was. Uh, the overall rank uh, in the region. Uh, so in terms of leisure, number one was Turkey, two, Egypt, Morocco was three, four was UAE, five was Saudi. In terms of business, and this was interesting, uh, UAE, one, Turkey, two, Morocco, three, Saudi Arabia, four, Egypt, five. So uh, just a little switch there, but it's interesting how Morocco is getting a lot of business and leisure travel. I understand leisure, but there's also some business going there. Um, but clearly, and as we've seen in other metrics and other reports, the, the Middle East is is busting along in terms of tourism and aviation and is recovering quicker than the rest of the globe. Oh, by the way, sorry to finish that. A lot of a, a lot of influx is Russians. <laughs> uh, I mean, 100 uh, percent. Yep. If you go Dubai, to Dubai, today, Dubai, yeah, is... Dubai in January got a 63 percent increase over 2022. Yeah, it, it's obvious when you're there. It's absolutely and, obvious. And Israelis. Uh, 85,000 Israelis visited uh, Dubai uh, in the first two months of the year. 
Yeah, that's an that's interesting. Um, rata gain. <laughs> Sounds so stupid. I'm, I know it. It's got to be rate gain. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know it. I'm just guessing. And, uh, you know, it could be, you know, it could be in something in a third way. Who knows with us? You know, we butcher things. We're we liberal butcher. in it. We're, we, we're, yeah, you know, we, you just, we butcher we're dependably everything. butchering things. If we get it right, <laughs> that's what's surprising. So, exactly. <laughs> um, Richard, I think we'll put a bow in it. Uh, what do you think? That was a Absolutely. good one. Absolutely. That was fun. That was fun. We will be back next week with a really another fantastic episode 86. And until then, Richard, um, good to see you. Yes. Talk, uh, talk to you soon. And, and thank you very much. Absolutely. This was awesome.